Stories, fables, ghostly tales. Lily Madwip, who has lost her brother, is brought in to see a therapist, but Lily is no ordinary girl. Oh, no, far from it. Lily knows full well who she is and what her adult guardians want to hear. Lily knows far more than she lets on, and there are shadows circling her narrative that only she can see. And there is a voice that lurks in the minds of many, insidious in the way that it wrenches into its victim's soul, and at times, it is the victim who becomes their own worst enemy. Welcome, listeners, to your two tales for tonight. Our first story is, My Name is Lily Madwip, and I Don't Need a Therapist, by Lillian underscore Madwip. Be sure to check out her Reddit, and a shrill, hissing voice by Ross Daniels, a listener who sent in their story directly to me, the writer of a terrifyingly soul-stabbing story about a voice inside one's head. Turn off your lights, listeners. Turn up the sound. And get ready for something creepy. My name is Lily Madwip, and I don't need a therapist. Do you think Roger is with God? Lily? That's my therapist. Her name is Miss Christie. She's about my mum's age, but uses less makeup. Probably because she doesn't have any kids of her own. Ms. Christie wears a little chain around her neck with a cross on it. She also wears a jacket with too many buttons and not enough holes. I wonder what all those extra buttons are for. She always wears the same jacket. Does she only have the one? Or does she have a lot of jackets that all look the same? I'm never going to know the answer to these urgent mysteries. Ever since Roger died, I have to sit in this room twice a week, with shelves full of books about child psychology, and drawings by other kids on the walls, and talk to Miss Christie. I guess Mum and Dad thought I wasn't handling Roger's death appropriately. Well, Mum didn't anyway. Dad doesn't really talk to either of us much anymore. Mum is out in the waiting area with Pascal. I'm not allowed to bring Pascal in with me when I talk to Miss Christie. Other kids get to bring things in. There's this girl with black hair who always shows up with a teddy bear that chuckles when she squeezes it. One kid even brings a toy fire engine with flashing lights. Flashing lights can cause seizures. I don't think Miss Christie likes Pascar. Sure. I shrug. Roger's in heaven. Roger isn't in heaven. He's not in hell either. Roger's not in some underground cave, filled with red demons carrying pitchforks that stab him as flames shoot out of rocks. He is not sitting on a cloud with a harp, either. I think he'd be pretty annoyed if someone handed him a harp. He'd probably throw it at them, and call them an assface. Roger's on the other side of town in a place called Holy Oaks Cemetery, where Mum and Dad paid for a lot in the back by a willow tree and a creepy stone crypt with an angel on top that looks nothing like a real angel. They got a little polished stone marker to put on his grave that just says, Roger T. Madwip, 
in all caps and Beloved Son in cursive underneath. And that's where Roger is. There in his dead body, in a suit he probably would make a face at if you told him he had to wear it, in a coffin with white padding. I suppose in case he gets uncomfortable, laying in the dark, six feet underground, with dirt and worms on top of it all. Pascal says Roger is in purgatory, which I guess means laying in your dead body until they decide what to do with you. Did you know there's over 200 bones in most people? When one gets broken, like if a man in a mask strikes you on the arm with a crowbar, the body knows how to repair it over time, unless the body is dead. Then they just stay broken. Forever, I guess. Roger ended up with a lot of broken bones. Some of them were broken more than once, too. It was like a dozen guys in masks with crowbars just pounded on him for an hour. Now he's stuck in his coffin with a suit he hates and a whole bunch of broken bones that are never going to heal. I wonder when they decide where he's going, if he's going to pop out all floppy like a jellyfish. The idea of Roger like a squishy sack makes me laugh. Miss Christie jots this down. I go stand by the window, overlooking the parking lot. It's cold and wet outside today. There's a slick spot on the sidewalk into the building where Miss Christie works that I can see from her office. A lady and her son are walking in from their car. The boy is probably a couple of years younger than me and wearing a pair of brown corduroy pants. He's going to slip on the slick spot, get those pants wet, and end up crying, but there's nothing I can do about it, so I look away. I hear the commotion from outside a moment later. It didn't rain when we buried Roger. I thought it was always supposed to rain when there's a funeral. I even dreamed that it rained, but the rain was lots of little bits of glass, and it was cutting everybody. Roger's friends, Skeeter and Dustin, were there in their suits and their hair combed, and they were crying because the glass was cutting them. Everybody was covered in blood. Mum said if it rained every time there was a funeral, it would never stop raining. That sounds like there are a lot of funerals going on. Do you miss him? Miss Christie asks. Yeah. Roger hid my foil Charizard before he died. And now I don't know where it is. Uncle George gave it to me for my birthday, when I turned five. Because he was getting rid of my cousin Susie's old collection. And he said if I hung on to it, I could probably use it to pay for college someday. Susie was a year younger than Roger. She died in a boating accident. One summer, during a family reunion. When people hear boating accident... They think you were in a boat and there was an accident. Like maybe you hit another boat or ended up out of the water. But Susie was in the water. And the boat ran her over. So I think it was more of a swimming accident that happened to involve a boat. I was there when it happened. But that's a whole other story. Ever since, I don't like going into the water. Not as long as there are still boats, and sharks, and piranhas. Do you ever feel like crying? Ms. Christie asks. She dyes her hair. She doesn't think anyone knows, but I know. 
I suppose if I really wanted to blow her mind, I could ask Pascar where she gets it done, and what the person's name is who does it for her. Maybe then people will stop treating me like I'm making things up. Or maybe they'll want to cut open my brain. Roger said they would do that if they thought I really did see things before they happen. But Roger's dead now. I don't want them cutting open my brain. So I don't tell Miss Christie I know her hair color is fake. I already cried. I say instead. I did cry, but only because people expected it of me. Especially at a funeral. I just want to go back to school and see my friends. I don't have any friends at school. I used to have a friend named Rachel. But I warned her that her dog Ruffy was going to have seizures and die. And she stopped being my friend. Other kids think I'm weird. Jeffrey Baker calls me Mad Lily. That's only because Pascal says puberty isn't going to be kind to Jeffrey. If I really wanted to be mean, I could tell everybody that he still wets the bed sometimes. But Pascal tells me not to be mean. Being mean lands you in purgatory. Miss Christie writes something in her notebook about me. I think it says that I'm uncooperative and repressing my emotions. I'm trying to be cooperative, but adults don't want to hear the truth. They want to hear you say what they think is right. If you say anything else, they think it's wrong, and then you have to start all over again. Sometimes, they put you on drugs, so they can tweak the chemicals in your brain until you think things you wouldn't otherwise. Like how much you miss your brother, who used to give you the wedgies and hid your foil Charizard before he died. And now you'll never go to college. Ms. Christie, please call me Christie. Ms. Christie, can I please bring Pascal in next session? I ask. She gives me that face that adults make where they know you know the answer and are hoping you'll take the question back before they have to give it. I think Pascal should stay in the waiting room. Why? Because I want to hear from you, not Pascal. She doesn't really want to hear from me. Because I would want to talk about why I'm suddenly seeing her lying motionless on the floor of some room with green carpeting and yellow furniture that came from Ikea. Her face is purple and her tongue is sticking out and it's all swelled up like one I saw on a frog in a museum once. The frog was dead too. The world is decorated with dead things. I want to ask her if she feels dizzy or light-headed, and if she had enough to eat at lunch. I wonder if IKEA is an acronym, kind of like the one I see on the wristband they'll give her at the hospital. DNR. She thinks you're a schizo, assface, Roger says in my head. She thinks you think your doll talks to you. I clam up. I don't feel safe without Pascal. When I see things before they happen like this, often Pascal can explain them to me. I don't know why he came to be with me. Maybe because in all the world, I'm the only person that bothered to name their doll Pascal. Maybe he knew I could see things before they happen and came to keep me company. And by crazy coincidence, I gave the doll the same name as him. All I know is he says he's an angel and not to be afraid. And that always makes me feel better. The time for my session finally runs out and Miss Christie escorts me to the waiting room, where Mum and Pascal are sitting with other parents and their kids. My mum is talking to the mother 
of the boy who fell on the slick spot outside. He's sitting beside her with teary eyes and a long snot coming out of his nose. Gross. Miss Christie takes Mum aside and they have a conversation in whispers. So I take Pascara aside and also have a conversation in whispers. Two can play at that game. I know Miss Christie is telling my mother about emotional repression. And my mother is asking Miss Christie about pharmaceutical solutions. My mother likes pharmaceutical solutions. I ask Pascal what DNR stands for. Resuscitate means. Sounds like I'm not going to be seeing Miss Christie anymore. I want to warn her, but I don't know what to warn her about. Is it a bad fall? Does she have a heart attack? She looks healthy enough. I wish I got a fuller picture when I see things before they happen. But then, does it even matter? Nobody ever listens to me. Mum wants me to stop making things up to explain the bad stuff that seems to always happen around me. Dad already thinks I'm cursed and, and causing these things to happen. They sleep in separate beds now, and Dad spends a lot of time out in the garage drinking and banging on Roger's drum set. I wonder if Miss Christie will go to purgatory like Roger. Miss Christie turns to me and flashes her fake smile. See you next Tuesday, okay? Lily? I fake smile back at her, shaking my head sadly. Okay, maybe I am cursed, but I don't need a therapist. A shrill, hissing voice. I lifted my eyes up to the mountains of home, but there were none. I looked for the streams of water that were familiar to me, but they had run dry. There were not the familiar sights of home. The smells, sounds, and tastes I loved did not exist. There was nothing. Nothing but dry, cracked ground, as far as the eye could see and then some. Not a living thing was to be found. The air was stale and still, without even a cooling breeze for comfort. My body ached and fought my every movement, as if I had been wandering this wilderness for an age and a half, yet it was as if I was seeing this scene for the first time in my life. That is if I was alive. Was I alive? What does it matter? Life and death feel more alike with each passing moment. I took a step forward, whatever direction that might be, hoping that somewhere in the distance there might be somebody, something, anything, some form of sustenance or companionship would have been welcomed no matter how meagre. No matter which way I looked, there was no hope to be found, but surely I could get somewhere eventually. Where do you think you're going? A shrill voice shrieked. I looked all around me, front and back, but could not find the source of the voice. There was no one there. There was no one anywhere. Only me. is 
few, a few steps, a few million steps. It doesn't matter. There is nowhere to go. There is only here. There is only you and me. I continued looking around for the voice. Where are you? I asked weakly with parched lips as I took another step. The dry ground was hard and hot, scorching the bottoms of my feet. Oh, how my feet burned. Oh, how they ached. But I had to keep going. The voice spoke again. You should know where I am. You always come back to me. We always manage to stay together. Scowling, I replied, I don't know you, and continued walking. The voice let out a guffaw that was as dry and wild as the land itself. <laughs> you don't know me. How could you ever forget? I have been your closest companion for many years now. You have done your best to get rid of me. To ignore me. To shut me out. But I am a loyal companion. You won't get rid of me easily. I took a few more steps, dragging my feet along with barely the energy to move. I checked for a pulse at my wrist, yet there wasn't one. Death was my life, as the lifeless as the wilderness around me, or was life the death of me, dead or alive? I was there, desperate for help. There was no hope in walking blindly to the empty horizon. Weakly, I asked the voice, Can you help me? The hissing voice had an answer for that as well. Help you? Again, I have tried to help you out of the hell that is your life, but you wouldn't take it. I showed you a way to escape it all, and you, in your stupidity, refused. Despite the taunts of the voice, I kept walking as I slowly moved along. I examined the condition I was in. I was naked, completely exposed, and defenseless. My skin was shriveled and grey. Clinging loosely to a skeletal form, I barely recognized as my own. Chunks of flesh were missing from my body, yet no blood flowed. I was lifeless. You see the if you had listened to me, you could have ended this ages ago. You chose to suffer rather than escape. It's all your fault. You did this to yourself. You did. 
I opened my lips to reply. As my own words were all I had to defend myself against, this wretched voice. But as I tried to speak, my tongue crumbled to dust, choking me with every now unintelligible word. There is nothing you can say against me. You know it's the truth. This is all your fault. You have no one because it's your fault. You have nothing because it's your fault. You dug your grave and crawled into it. Did you expect death would give up his victims so easily? Tears welled up in my eyes, but they felt like acid streaming down my face, dissolving what was left of my mangled form. Shut up! I attempted to scream, but all the sound I could produce was grunts and growls like a dumb animal. I had not the energy to move, yet I kept walking as if I had some hint of hope for what may be just out of my realm of vision. You know why you're out here, don't you? They were better off without you. They don't need you. They hated you. They resented you. The kindest thing you did for them was leave. A soft sob came. From my chest, a slight gurgle of a noise in my throat. It rolled from my lips and fell to the ground, not reaching the ears of anyone who might have cared. How could it make any difference to anyone? What happened to me out here? Are you done trying to resist me? Your efforts are futile. Nothing you could possibly say matters. It doesn't matter to me. It won't help you, and no one else is around to hear it. I walked on. I walked on, my vision blurring from exhaustion. I did not see the gaping fissure in the ground before me. But the wilderness is brutal and unforgiving, and makes no provisions for our infirmities. As my foot slipped into the crack, I fell flat on my face into the dust below me. With a snap and an agonizing cry of incomprehensible words, my leg severed itself from my body. It simply snapped off as a rotten branch would snap and fall from a tree. The pain was excruciating beyond fathoming, yet there was no comparison to be found. You're falling apart, and there's nothing you can do about it. It's only a matter of time till you are reduced to the dust around you. Why don't you just give up and fade into the nothingness that you are? I pulled my severed leg out of the ground and reached to try to move forward. Are you even listening to me? One hand holding my leg, 
one pulling myself along the ground. You're not listening. At this rate, I will never make it out this wilderness, but no one will say that I didn't try. Give up. I stopped, mustering just enough strength to lift my head out of the filth. I could not say anything but beastly noises, so with my lips I mouthed silently, Who are you? I am the one who shows you how worthless you are. I am the one who beats down your unachievable goals because you cannot achieve anything. I am the one who will cleanse the world of the filth that is you. I have spared your family and everyone you ever cared about from having to suffer your presence any longer. With that, the hand I was using to pull myself along turned on me, as if it had developed a consciousness of its own. It reached right for my face, and I closed my eyes for fear of the potential horror of what it might do to me. I braced myself for pain, braced myself to die, but I felt nothing. I was utterly and completely numb. Perhaps there was nothing to fear. Then I made the mistake of opening my eyes. There, in front of me, in the hand that had just turned against me, was my face. The lifeless holes my eyes used to fill seemed to stare deep inside me, burning into my soul. The chin of my face still had left over residue of my crumpled tongue, and there were streaks down the cheeks where the tears had burned me. My face simply hung there, limply in my hand, as if it had been a mask I had taken off. Suddenly, the lips sprang to life. They spoke to me. In a hissing voice, my face said, I am Just brilliant stories. A big thank you to Lillian Madwip for her second story to the tale that is Lily Madwip. And a big thank you to Ross Daniels for a shrill, hissing voice. Now, for Lillian Madwip, there's still more to read, so expect more from this series soon. I wonder what will happen to Lily in the future, and what else we will find out about her. Do you think this is a curse, or is it a gift? Listeners, do you know someone that has this kind of ability? Let me know in the comments. And a shrill hissing voice really hits me in the heart if anyone asks me what does it feel like to be demotivated? To feel like the weight of the world is on your shoulders, I would point them to this story. It's stories like these that bring on the emotion of despair, and not for the faint of heart. A skill in itself, Ross, to bring on feelings of such intensity. If you have any more stories you wish to send my way, don't hesitate. Your emotive language really draws me in, mate. Thank you both for the stories. This Wednesday, listeners, I'm going to continue with your No Sleep by Lillian Madwip and then move on to something different again. If you want more Let's Not Meet, Demonology, Japanese folklore, Irish folklore, well, you name it, and I'll shortlist it. 
feel free to reach out to me on my email, which is storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Have a fantastic Monday day, my angels in the morning, and a devilish night, my gremlins who are up late. As always, till next time.